Hello and welcome to Facing Race. I'm your host, Leila Schultz-Ames. In today's episode, I'll look at politics, our political parties, and racism. Stay tuned. So we are just weeks away from that glorious day when Donald J. Trump is going to leave the office of the White House. And while Trump, as we've talked about on the show a couple of times, claimed to have done more for African-Americans than any other president, it probably goes without saying that very few presidents of either party have actually done a lot to help African-Americans or any minorities or any communities of color. So today we're going to take a look at the two main political parties in the United States, as well as talk a little bit about our future President Joe Biden, and see if Republicans or Democrats are really the party of African Americans. So let's let's start with the Republicans, the party of Lincoln. So I guess I want to start by talking about the Southern strategy. In American politics, the Southern strategy was a Republican Party electoral strategy to increase political support among white voters in the South by appealing to racism against African Americans. As the civil rights movement and dismantling of a lot of Jim Crow laws in the 50s and then into the 60s visibly deepened existing racial tensions in much of the the southern parts of the U.S., a lot of the Republican politicians like presidential candidate Richard Nixon and Senator Barry Goldwater developed strategies that successfully contributed to the political realignment of many white conservative voters in the South who actually had traditionally supported the Democratic Party rather than the Republican Party. So it's really helped to push the Republican Party a lot more to the right. The perception that the Republican Party had served as a vehicle of white supremacy in the South, especially during the Goldwater campaign in the presidential elections of 1968 and 1972, made it difficult for the presidential, really for the Republican Party, to win back the support of black voters in later years. In interesting enough, in 2005, Republican National Committee Chairman Kenneth Malman actually formally apologized to the NAACP for exploiting racial polarization to win elections, and essentially he admitted to ignoring the black vote. So although the the phrase Southern strategy is often attributed to Nixon's political strategist Kevin Phillips, he didn't actually create it. But he did He did popularize it. There is an interview that he did in 1970, and it, it appeared in a New York Times article, and he basically was talking about the studies of ethnic voting and, and, and black people and their own voting. And he said, and I'm going to quote the, the interview, he said, from now on, the Republicans are never going to get more than 10 to 20% of the Negro vote, and they don't need any more than that. But Republicans would be short-sighted if they weakened enforcement of the Voting Rights Act. The more Negroes who register as Democrats in the South, the sooner the Negro for whites will quit the Democrats and become Republicans. That's where the voters are. So essentially, he's saying that 
really the Republicans didn't even need the black vote. All they have to do is get the white vote and get them to be essentially scared of blacks and and kind of get policies that are going to frighten uh, white voters enough to vote Republican. And then with that strategy, they should be fine. So while Phillips sought to essentially increase Republican power by polarizing ethnic votes in general, and not just win the white South, the South was by far the biggest prize yielded by his approach. Its success began at the presidential level. Gradually, Southern voters began to elect Republicans to Congress and finally to statewide and local offices, particularly as some segregationist Democrats retired or they ended up switching to the GOP. GOP. So, In addition to all of this, the Republican Party actually worked for years to develop grassroots political organizations across the South. They supported candidates for local school boards and city council, for example. Um, But following the the Watergate scandal, Southern voters kind of came out in support for their their favorite son, uh, who was actually a Southern Democrat, Jimmy Carter. So that was an interesting time. So from 1948 to 1985, the southern states for decades had been a stronghold for Democrats, really became these key swing states, and they really provided the popular vote margins in the 1960, 1968, and 1976 elections. During this era, several Republican candidates expressed support for states' rights, which was actually a reversal of the positions held by Republicans prior to the Civil War. So some political analysts said that this term was used in the 20th century as kind of like a code word to represent opposition to federal enforcement of civil rights for blacks and for any type of federal intervention on their behalf. So many individual Southerners had opposed the passage of the Voter Rights Act. And that was sort of a big, big turning point. So... A lot of times Republicans say that it's the party of Lincoln. It's a party of freeing the slaves. Okay, that's true, but not 100%. So here's the deal. Okay, black people who could vote tended to support the Republican Party from the 1860s to about the mid-30s. There was kind of this, I guess you could say this push and pull aspect to it. Republicans pledged to protect voting rights. African Americans kind of viewed the party as sort of their only hope, as their only vessel, I guess, for for their goals. And actually, Frederick Douglass said, the Republican, quote, the Republican Party is the ship. All else is the sea, end quote. But I mean, the sea has its problems, right? So the, the Democratic Party for most of the 19th century was essentially a white supremacist organization that did not welcome African Americans at all. A conservative group of politicians known as the Bourbons really controlled the Southern Democratic Party. And if you look at it, for, exa- for example, in, in the 20th century, the official name of Alabama's dominant organization was the Democratic and Conservative Party of Alabama. And a lot of African Americans remained active in the P- Republican Party And for a time, they kept voting and civil rights actually a forefront of the party's agenda. And when the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the 1875 Civil Rights Act in 1883, 
a lot of northern state governments controlled by Republicans kind of created their own civil rights laws. And there was actually a guy named John Thomas. He was a former slave. He became the first African-American elected to the Illinois General Assembly. And he introduced the 1885 Illinois Civil Rights Act. So this was something that was actually really popular. And it was popular among the Republicans. But white Southern discontentment made it kind of impossible to enact any real meaningful protections at a federal level. And then that combined with the rise of kind of this new generation of white Republicans who were really interested in, in business rather than racial equality sort of cooled that relationship between the GOP and black civil rights. So that was a, a issue. And then also you had, of course, a great migration of African-Americans from the South, which began just around the time of the U.S. entry into World War One, And that brought a lot of black people into cities where they could vote freely. And that put them also in touch with a lot of local democratic organizations that slowly realized the potential of the black vote. So there is that issue. Then, of course, there's also the Great Depression as well. So the devastation of the Great Depression mixed with a lot of the promises of programs in the New Deal led black voters into the Democratic Party. And I'll talk a little bit more about that, too, later later on in the episode. But essentially, this was big because the vast majority of black voters supported FDR for president in 1936. And then we saw in the 60s the passage of the Civil Rights Act, 1964 to be exact, and the Voter Voting Rights Act the following year in 65. And that led to a greater shift towards Democrats who had supported both of those measures. So, of course, it's not to say that Black Republicans don't exist. In, in fact, they're actually quite a few conservative black people. And even though it's true that sometimes I do make fun of them, it is something worth looking at. Okay, so this idea of black conservatism, one of the main characteristics is its emphasis on personal choice and responsibilities above socioeconomic status and institutional racism. So in the tradition of American politics and intellectual life, Black conservatives usually tend to side with the idea of ideas of Booker T. Washington compared with ideas of, of W.E.B. Du Bois, for example. And many black conservatives, the key mission is to bring repair, repair and success to the black community by applying kind of these, these fundamental principles. So they believe in this idea of the pursuit of educational and professional excellence as a mean of advancement within the society, which doesn't sound bad at all. Of course, education can be uh, a big part of, of getting ahead. And with that, maybe it opens up opportunities for jobs. Okay. They also don't really want to look at, they don't want to use the lens of race in the country's history of discrimination as justifications for not excelling to the best of your abilities. And I mean, I I think I I, I get that too in the sense of that, you know, we can't blame everybody. Oh, I'm not successful because of X, Y, Z. But I think it's also important for people, conservative, liberals, black, whites, whoever, to understand the context and understand the history of this country. So it's hard to say, yeah, let's all pull ourselves up by our bootstraps 
if for centuries and centuries black people have had uh, boots that they couldn't walk in. You know what I mean? So I think it's important to essentially say, okay, yes, it's true. We can't always blame other people for our shortcomings. But at the same time, it's hard if you don't if you don't have an even playing field, it's hard to win the race. So in any event, that that's a big part of it. Black conservatives typically oppose things like affirmative action, which is supported by by many African American communities. I'm I'm still out on the idea of affirmative action, so I do see where they're coming from. They do tend to argue that the efforts to obtain reparations for slavery are counterproductive, and black conservatives tend to be really self-critical of aspects of African American culture that they have believe have created poverty independence. So that's usually their their point is that black Americans need to stop playing the victim and they need to just move forward. Again, the problem with that is that you have to look at history and you have to look at where we are. And even though it's 2020, almost about to be 2021, there it's hard to deny the history of institutional racism. It's hard, it's hard to say, oh, we, we're just as even, we're on the same playing field as, as everybody else, when clearly that has not been the case. So I think, yeah, African-Americans, black conservatives, uh, especially black Republicans, you know, sometimes are accused of being Uncle Tom's and and they're sort of seen as selling out. And in fact, years ago, Ebony actually did a 100 plus most influential black Americans issue. And they left out a lot of black people that were considered, uh, I guess, more on the conservative side. And one of those was, of course, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. And then The Economist actually took note of that and criticized Ebony's decision and basically said that that was really spiteful. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot, uh, a lot to look at when we kind of look at the idea of black conservatives. Um, and, and obviously, too, it's not just a social thing. A lot of black conservatives support economic policies that might be more on the conservative side. And I, when I was doing research, I saw a couple different studies and they said roughly about 13% of blacks identify as conservative or extremely conservative. And there's another 14% that would identify as being slightly conservative. So, I mean, it's definitely not just one or two people. There is definitely something to that. And in fact, when you look at certain issues too, there's a national poll uh, that looked at people that supported, uh, people of color that supported the California Proposition 8. Uh, That was the one back in 2008 about the state constitutional amendment defining marriage as an opposite sex union. And surprisingly, or, or maybe not even surprisingly enough, that was really strong among African-American voters. Actually, 70% of them stated that they voted in favor of Proposition Proposition 8, essentially saying that they considered marriage to be between a man and a woman. And uh, a lot of people thought also, too, that a lot of them came out to vote because that was, of course, the year that Barack Obama was elected. And so that helped increase the African-American turnout. And also... There is a lot of, of course, uh, African-Americans that often tend to be religious or they're members of of churches. So some of them tend to be conservative in that aspect when looking at things like uh, same-sex marriage. But whatever whatever the case, it is still 
yes, that there are, of course, black conservatives. And, you know, going back to what I said, too, earlier, uh, there was a period of time when the black population tended to vote Republican. That was the period of time right after Reconstruction. And during that period, it's true, the Republican Party, particularly in the South, was a lot more racially liberal than the Democratic Party. So really, it wasn't until the 1930s when we started to see kind of that shift um, for blacks, you know, shifting towards FDR. And that really continued with the election of JFK. And uh, a lot of it, too, was sparked by what the Republican Party was doing. For example, Herbert Hoover uh, actually ended up firing a lot of loyal African-Americans in his cabinet. And uh, that was definitely something that, while excited some white uh, Southern voters, that angered a lot of uh, African-Americans. So a lot of these different things sort of, that was sort of the reason that uh, African-Americans kind of turned their backs on the Republican Party. And obviously that mixed with, uh, as I talked about earlier in the episode, the Southern strategy uh, that created a lot of reasons for uh, African-Americans no longer wanting to support the Republican Party. Okay, so then we have the Democrats. African Americans are Democrats. Since 1968, no Republican presidential candidate has ever received more than 13% of the African American vote. And usually when they do surveys, it shows that African Americans generally vote 80%. They say that about 80% of Americans self-identify as Democrats. And I have to admit that I've pretty much always voted Democrat. And in the the few presidential elections that I've participated in, uh, well, this one was my my fourth one. All the people that I voted for were were Democrats. So I guess the question is, why do we support this party? And do they support us? I mean, the Democrats do more for African-Americans than Republicans. Well, let's see. Um, Let's look at Joe Biden, for example, who will obviously be our next president uh, next month. Uh, So throughout Biden's career, he's kind of boasted about his ability to bridge partisan divides by sacrificing the needs of black people and poor people in the name of compromise. And for the last 30 years, Biden has repeatedly talked about freezing or cutting or raising the age for Social Security and other benefits as much as $2 trillion at one time. And kind of his response to concerns that these cuts would, would hurt poor people is sort of like, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff we have to do. We have to do what we got to do. And I, I bring up Social Security uh, because it's, it's actually an important program for black people, especially as, as African-Americans get older. Among African-Americans receiving Social Security, I I read that 30% of elderly married couples and 58% of unmarried elderly people rely on it uh, for, well, most of their income. So the reliance is not due to laziness or spending habits. Just a lot of times people of color um, don't always have the retirement funds that they need. And whether that's due to racism, lack of workplace retirement, uh, unable to really access a lot of these high paying jobs. There's different reasons. Um, but you know, that's something that, that Joe Biden has, 
has sort of talked about, you know, cutting or and, and sort of, you know, looking to compromise um, over the years. And and he always says, you know, the black voters like, you know where my heart is, you know, my heart's with you. But I don't know. I mean, do we? I, uh, do we? I don't know. So we've got, you know, Senator uh, Kamala Harris, who I have to say, I'm obviously really excited about. And and I got really emotional when when I was watching uh, when I was live streaming uh, after after election was called. And, you know, I really liked her speech and I like a lot of her speeches. But it is true that she has, you know, been really scrutinized for treatment of poor, poor black women, particularly when she was a prosecutor. And, you know, Biden also has his own issues when it comes to criminal justice and his record. Uh, I mean, we, we all know that he authored and successfully passed the $30 billion 1994 Violent Crime Control Law Enforcement Act. And, you know, it put 100,000 additional police officers on the streets. And it, it also ended up distributing funding for a lot of new prison con- constructions and you know, it also encouraged prosecutors to charge a lot of children as adults. It even added the death penalty in new areas. There's a lot of different drug-related offenses. And really, there's a, you know, a lot, it really affected a lot of people of, of color. And, you know, I, re- I remember watching some of the, the tapes from that. And, and Biden compared his criminal justice approach to, to Richard Nixon's law and order stance. And that was essentially, you know, lock them up, lock them all up. And as a result, a lot of black people were arrested um, in droves following this bill. And obviously we know that black and whites, you know, have comparable drug uses. I mean, black people use drugs pretty much at the same rate proportionally that white people do. Yet many of the people sitting in prison today on drug-related charges, in fact, most of them are people of color. And Biden has uh, acknowledged the flaws in the bill. But I mean, even last summer, he still reordered his support for that bill. He said that there were some problems, but he thinks that uh, there was a lot of good to come out of it. And, you know, they're even in some cities where they're talking about marijuana and they're talking about whether we should expunge marijuana records and, and maybe pay reparations to black people who were formerly incarcerated for marijuana offenses. Biden wasn't really sure if he was on board with that. He sort of went back and forth. He seemed really ambivalent about legalizing marijuana. He argued it was a gateway drug, but then he kind of took that back and you know, of course, keeping marijuana legal at the federal level does not mean that people will not use it, but rather that the extra police that he put on the street would, of course, send more people to jail. And a lot of times those people would be people of color. So, yeah, I mean, ironically, the police, of course, were not really anywhere to be found, though, when, you know, Biden's friends like George George Bush, for example, or Obama or Clinton or anybody who, who used marijuana. So, I don't know if anything, maybe marijuana seems to be a gateway drug to the White House, not a gateway drug to using other drugs for regular people on the street. But in any case, in all in all seriousness and um, not to get off the point, Biden has a lot to do in order to show that he's here to support communities of color uh, because people of color, communities of color have been very instrumental in helping Democratic candidates win. And that's something that I think that that particularly black people, black women do not get enough credit for. Just in 2016, the presidential race, 
was really decided in in areas where there was a not really a lot of turnout of people of color uh that really affected it because of course a lot of african americans that turned out they did vote for hillary but a lot of them are not energized and so there was actually a lack of of people of color turning out whereas we know in this election we saw the power of the black vote so we know that 90% or 80 to 90% of black voters vote Democratic. We also know that about two-thirds of Latino and Asian Americans also vote Democratic. And looking at the exit poll data from the 2020 election, it really showed how black people swung the vote. So African Americans represented over 50% of all Democratic votes in Georgia because 33% about of the state's population is black. It represented 20% of all Democratic votes in Michigan. In that state, only about 15% of the population is black. And 21% of all Democratic voters in Pennsylvania. And about 12% of that state is black. So according to the, the surveys that I've looked at and the studies that I've looked at, these percentages are considering, you know, of course, there's that talk about, oh, well, the, the polls or you know, rigged, this, that, no, whatever. But when you look at it, it's it obviously shows the power of the black vote, that the black voters have long pulled their weight relative to other racial groups, that they are accounting for a large voting block of the Democratic Party. And the role of black Americans, I should also say, goes way beyond helping candidates like Biden secure a presidential victory. Uh, obviously, Trump's had a lot of decisive, re- divisive rhetoric, I should say, and he's definitely said a lot um, that's that's kind of pushed, you know, people of color away from him uh, and away from the Republican Party. But really, I mean, I think we have to say Trump aside that the blacks really helped to save American democracy. I mean, let's say they didn't turn out to vote. Let's say that they decided that Biden and his crime bill, it was too much to support him. So let's say Trump won again and a second Trump term, really, I mean, who knows what would have happened. We probably would have seen a lot more of like packing the court. He uh, probably would have done a lot to to destroy democracy and kind of take control and encourage a lot of these white supremacist groups. So, I mean, we really do have uh, black voters to thank for uh, saving us from a second Trump term. So. Okay, as I said, it doesn't just, black voting is not just something that helped Biden. It's actually helped a lot of presidential candidates. President Franklin D. Roosevelt, he had a smashing victory in the 1936 presidential election. I mean, that was huge, right? But what nobody talks about, we talk about how, yeah, he he was this great president and how he was the head of the Democratic Party and he was able to form these coalitions and all of that with union members and, and different religious groups and immigrants. But we forget that the African-Americans really turned out for him. Roosevelt carried every former Confederate state all four times he ran. But no Democrat has done that since 1944, which is FDR's final race. The New Deal coalition, as it was kind of came to be known, powered the Democratic Party for the next 30 years. Its stronghold on these votes was due largely to the social, political, and economic and cultural shifts that were brought on by the Depression, then the New Deal, and then World War II. 
So the biggest democratic change was the African-Americans. So the migration of African-Americans from the South to the urban North, as I, as I said with the, the Great Migration, which began actually a little bit even before World War I, because that really began in kind of the 1910s, it continued into the 30s and the 40s, right into World War II. And as a result, Black Americans during the Roosevelt years lived for the most part either in the urban North or in the rural South, although obviously depression did change a lot of, you know, people's shifting. Um, They had to obviously move to look for jobs or different things. But in the North, Blacks encountered kind of de facto segregation and racism, and obviously a lot of discrimination in housing and public services. Nevertheless, they were able to vote and they had a lot of better job opportunities than they, they had previously. In the South, a lot of Blacks were disfranchised. They lived under, you know, kind of a lot of these segregationalist laws and rules, and they did not have a lot of freedom. No matter where they lived, though, African Americans were especially hit hard by the Depression. In the rural South, Blacks find it increasingly difficult to survive. In the North and and even in Southern cities, Blacks sell their jobs, which, you know, were usually, of course, traditionally lower paying, low, low level, unskilled. Their jobs essentially disappeared. And By 1932, over half of the Blacks in the South were unemployed. In the North, in that particular urban North, it was slightly better because there was a kind of a Black middle class. But even in a lot of areas like Harlem, the Black ownership or management really dropped in the first half of the 1930s. So, okay, people sometimes ask, um, did the New Deal improve the lives of African Americans? Well... I mean, yes and no, I guess you could say. Um, their aid to African Americans prior to 1933, especially in the South, really didn't exist. Um, the federal help that did come with the New Deal was at, actually really important. Um, in addition, there's a lot of new New Deal agencies. We had the WPA, the Public Work, Works Administration, which was a PWA. We had the Farm Security Administration, the FSA. So a lot of those actually were very sensitive in the 1930s to the needs of African-Americans, largely because of the leadership of Roosevelt appointees at these agencies. And African-Americans found allies in the administration. Uh, some of the the people like uh, the, the Secretary of Interior at the time, he was very sympathetic to African-Americans, even the First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt as well. Uh, she was very much aware of a lot of the issues. Uh, FDR himself, he actually spoke out against lynching, about the poll tax, uh, and he worked with his wife to to work on different bills that might help people of color. So um, that was kind of happening in the 30s, and then World War II actually accelerated many of the trends in the African-American life that had become clear during the 30s. So blacks continued to move to the cities. More than half a million moved to the North during the war years. And the war brought a surge in public and private spending that of course created jobs and a better economy, which meant that blacks were starting to find better jobs, more jobs and also better jobs. So 
a lot of this was a big part of their support of FDR. We also know that during the war, there was the idea of the double V campaign that was about bringing victory overseas, but also victory at home in terms of fighting racism. We, we know that during those years, there's an increase of organizations like the NAACP. The committee will later become the Congress for Racial Equality, which was about winning civil rights at home. We also saw blacks becoming more successful. Uh, during that time, there was a march on Washington with 100,000 people. Uh, so there's a lot of different things that uh, happened. And Roosevelt actually had a lot of pressure as well to change, um, changing things like, well, of course, discrimination in the military, that didn't change right away, but that was something that a lot of black people pressured Roosevelt on. He also had to issue an executive order that created fair employment practices, uh, basically trying to limit discrimination against people that were, were hired or not hired based on their skin color. So Roosevelt, even though obviously his his performance was was flawed in some ways towards black people, and obviously we know uh, towards Asian Americans, Japanese Americans during World War II, sending them to to camps, uh, we know that a lot of black people did support Roosevelt, and so as a result they started kind of abandoning their historic alliance to the Republicans, the former party of Lincoln, and they kind of moved in large numbers over to the Democrats, which became known as kind of the party of FDR. And that's sort of where African-Americans have been ever since. So whether it's fair that uh, black people mostly support Democrats and whether Democrats really do more to help communities of color and Republicans, that can always be, of course, up for debate. But it's just interesting to look at the history and to look at the shift. Okay, we have a political expert on today, my friend Steph, who currently lives in the Republic of Georgia has been studying politics and following politics all over the globe for many years. She also worked uh, in politics in her home state of Maine, so she has a lot of interesting things to talk about. So let's go to the phones and see what she has to say. Hello. Good morning, Steph. Welcome to my podcast. Welcome to Facing Race. So I guess, yeah, we'll just jump into it. Uh, So as you know, in my episode today, I'm kind of looking at African-Americans and why they sort of started uh, in the Republican Party and then switched to the Democratic Party. And obviously, nowadays, the majority of African-American voters uh, vote Democrats. So yeah, I guess my first question is, why do you think that is? And what do you think it really happened to cause sort of that that switch and that transition it kind of, it's kind of like how the um the the, the poles like the the earth the poles of the earth like how, like the magnetic poles like switch every however many years it's kind of the same with like the political parties mm-hmm. um, so like yeah like during the civil war i mean we didn't really like the republican party was the party that like freed slaves and right slavery. The party of Lincoln. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it, this this is something that happens, like, throughout American political history. Like, Democrats go from being, like, this ultra-conservative, ultra-far-right, and then the Republicans and the left, and then it switches and goes back and forth. 
Yeah, but I I think it's interesting that because when I was doing research about it and they were saying that basically it started during the depression and during FDR that a lot of African Americans at that point kind of started to gravitate more towards like the Democratic Party because I guess they felt that FDR you know a lot of the New Deal options were going to really help them and get jobs and all of that so. It sort of seemed like from the 30s onwards and then obviously in the 60s with everything that was, you know, going on with the Southern strategy and all of that stuff, it was really yeah. a big, a big shift. So I wonder if, you know, we are ever going to see though, like the Republican Party sort of reach out more to minority voters. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you think that's going to happen? Well, it, that makes me wonder, like, if, if we, if we did not ha- have FDR during like the 
So he is a city councilor in Portland. He's like, he's from Ghana. He's like the first Muslim, um, first Muslim to hold office in Portland. Wow. Go Maine. Uh, I've been friends, yeah, I've been friends with him since like, since when I, since my political days. And we had dinner when I went home in 2016, 2017. And we were were just like talking about what happened in the election. And he's like, yeah, most of the Muslim community in Maine voted for Trump. Really? That surprises me. What? Like, why? That that makes any sense. Why do you think? And he's like, yeah, like, like Muslims really identify more with like the conservative family values that the Republican, the Republican Hmm. Party um, holds as their platform, and they kind of see Democrats as just like being too liberal and like not really focusing on like what we actually care about. Interesting, but do you think? And I was like, that does that. That's so weird. And this was this was right after Trump had announced like the Muslim ban. Well, right. I was going to ask that too because I do feel like. I mean, I know for me as a minority, I do feel like okay, yeah, Democrats kind of take like our vote or whatever for granted. But then I also feel like when I look at the Republican Party, I just feel like time and time again, there's so many things that just make me feel like as a minority and as a woman like I wouldn't be wanted with like Muslim bands and like yeah. saying stuff about Mexicans and just so I feel like I don't I don't know it's like the, <laughs> it's kind of like ah where do we fit in but that's interesting even with the Muslim ban that they still were sort of like eh, eh. well like, like I feel, a lot of them feel like they earned their way into into the U.S. Mm, mm-hmm. and they and for them um it, it's like the perspective is that like the Democrats just kind of like want to give this give opportunities to everybody, whereas like Republicans are like okay like you're you can be here if you've earned it like if you worked for right it. if you work hard you can yeah get it. and yeah I remember like even like that summer before like when I was in um, Michigan and in Chicago and like I'd meet like different people of color. And, They'd be ta- we'd be talking about politics, and like a lot of them were just like, yeah, like I don't, I don't want just anybody from my country coming here. Like I worked for this, like I earned this, like I just it would cheapen like the hard work that I did to get to this country. Yeah, I've heard that before. I, I don't know. I mean, the thing is for me, like obviously as someone that lives in Spain, and like I, you know, I'm on like the other side of it, and well, you know, too, like as someone that lives yeah. overseas, it's like you know we're immigrants, and I know that it's it's a lot of work and it's like it it takes a lot of time and like money and like I had to hire a lawyer and everything to get my residency so I kind of okay in an ideal situation sure like everybody's going to be legal like documented but I mean I also understand like why it's not always possible I I get it like it's a lot of work it takes a lot of time and effort it's like you know people that are undocumented it's usually not because they want to be it's not like ah. I just don't yeah. feel like getting my papers today. It's like, no, usually there's a reason. I'm just being lazy. <laughs> yeah, not today, man. Maybe another day. So, yeah. I don't know. I do. I feel like sometimes, yeah, I get that sense uh, from Republicans. It's sort of like, well, you, if you want it, you have to work for it. And, like, everybody else needs to go back to where they came from. And I don't know if that's the right, you know, attitude to take. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely understand it. Mm-hmm. But I... Is that the right attitude to have? Mm, 
I don't know. It's yeah. I I feel like it's it's tricky, but I mean, there are definitely there are certain elements that I do understand and agree with in the traditional like Republican Party. I mean, I do think, yeah, like everybody, you know, ideally should work hard and they should be able to, you know, achieve their goals and reach, you know, what they they want to reach and, you know, that type of stuff. But I don't know. There's also just some other social social issues that I I struggle with certain stances that I think maybe don't quite align with my own you know personal values but I mean obviously you know like I think well the abortion thing I think is big you know the gay rights though obviously there are a lot of young republicans that I think are more socially you know advanced like I think there are more young republicans that are like hey we do believe in that gay marriage and and that type of thing you know so the younger generation maybe is different but I think traditionally I feel like the republican party was more like you know against abortion against gay marriage against a lot of you know these social movements um so I think for me that's probably why I've usually kind of voted democrat and kind of like gone over to that side I think is more like the social aspect of it because I don't I don't think the economic side of like republicanism is so bad I think it's more just I don't know I see social issues for me as being like a you know big big thing so that's usually why I vote you know that that way (laughs) yeah me too but I don't know what do you think that you would would you ever become a republican Steph I, so I remember back in during in 2012, like when I was working on the Obama campaign, mm-hmm. we had um, we had like one elementary school from Portland come into the campaign office one day as a field trip, and it was me, like the Obama representative, and then um, one girl who was the uh, like the the Democratic Party field representative, and then we had the chairwoman of the Democratic Party. And like one of the kids asked me that same question, yeah. like, would you ever be, would you ever be Republican? And like, like the other two were just like, nope, I would never be Republican. I would always be Democrat because of this, this, and this. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, well, I mean, like politics and like it's never like a black and white thing, and things are always changing. That's true. Um, and if for whatever reason, like things changed in a way that I just didn't agree with. Um, with my party anymore, yeah, probably. But the way that the way that things are going, like the the branches that we're going into, I don't see myself becoming a Republican. But I mean, never, never say, say never. never. Never <laughs> say never. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I don't know. I would also. I feel like maybe in the future too, we might actually get more parties. I don't know. I mean, I say that just yeah. as someone living in Spain, where they have you know four well kind of now five because we have a super conservative party but there's essentially four to five political parties and I mean a lot of the times there's not a huge difference between each party but there are you know it is nice of course to have options and essentially there's two that are kind of more liberal two that are conservative and then one that's like super conservative uh but I mean, at least, I don't know, I feel like there there are just limited options, you know, in the U.S., especially, I feel like, for some people that feel like, okay, I don't know where I fit in, I don't know which party, it's like we could use more choices. I mean, I definitely understand the argument for why we should have more choices. Mm -hmm. Um, But, so, this 
somebody who has worked in parties before, this is my perspective. Okay. There is a lot of work that goes into campaigning, a lot of money that goes into campaigning. Like there's just so much that you have to do in order to get something um, accomplished. Yes. And I feel like the way that capitalism, consumerism has been such a part of American culture that's spread into our politics as well. Mm -hmm. And people, instead of thinking, instead of having the perspective where like, I need, if I want something, I need to get this done. I need to do, I need to use my, my freedom, my, the, the, the freedoms and the abilities that the constitution has given me as an American, instead of working for it, Americans just kind of sit back and complain like, oh, like nobody's giving me this choice. That's very true. This is not, this is not given to me. We do as like to do that. It's like, no, you, you <laughs> have the opportunity to have enough. If you want another party and like if enough people want that, you can, there's nothing, there's nothing holding anybody back from that. Yes, actually, that's a good point. I haven't, I hadn't thought about that, but I think, yes, we do tend to sort of expect people to give us stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. And it's, it's, yeah. Not, it's not like the government's saying, like, no, you third party, you can't exist. Like, maybe with like all the money and the power, that's, that's kind of how it is. But um, right, yeah, like if enough people want more options, like there can be more options. Maybe um, that being said, though, yeah, I do wish, I do think that having more parties would um, probably make more people feel included in in politics. Agreed. Inspire, it would probably inspire more people to actually be active because mm-hmm. I think we have the highest rates of like non-eligible voters not we, we have the highest rate of rate of eligible voters not voting. Not vo- yeah, um, I, yeah. I think, I think like in the first world. I think so too. Um, I believe that. We're not very active. So, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're they're like yeah, they're I mean yeah, I wish I wish that I wish that people were more inspired to actually create the changes that they want to see instead of just sit back and complain about not having options. I like I like your idea, Steph. See, that's why yes, that's why I wanted to, to chat with you because you have a I like your perspective and I think you have a good yeah, you have a good take on on politics since you're you're still involved in politics all the way in over in Georgia, so <laughs> I like, I like it. I like it. Yes. Thanks for your, your ideas and insight. <laughs> okay. Today's quote is from Booker T. Washington. He said, success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life, but by the obstacles which he has had to overcome. I think this is true. I mean, not just in politics, obviously, there's always obstacles, political or otherwise, to overcome. But I think in general, this is a really nice quote to to live by. And that's pretty much all for today. So thank you to our guests for joining us. And thanks to everyone who's listening. I hope you have a great holiday season.